If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it is my privilege to welcome you to week two of Making Moves. Tell your neighbor, we're making moves. We're making moves. If today is your first time here, we consider you our VIP, and we want to honor you today. Let's give it up for all the first-time guests in the house. We love that you are making a move today to come to church, and we would love to connect with you. We have a gift out our back doors. There's a tent you'll see where um, we've got some team members who would love to meet you and give you a gift just to say thanks for being here today. If you're watching online, you can go ahead and click the link in the description, and we'd love to connect with you as well. Let's give it up one more time for all our VIPs. Well, as I said, today is week two of Making Moves. Last week, Pastor Nate talked about bringing transformation to our cities. When we make a move, God amplifies it. When we make a move, God multiplies it. Such a good message. If you didn't get to listen to it, go back and listen to it online. Pastor Nate and Sarah are out of town today, and we miss them, but when they go away, it's a great opportunity to honor them and to not take for granted what we have. Pastor Nate took our staff team to a conference last month uh, outside of New York City, and there were pastors and leaders from all over the Northeast, and it was a really good conference. Our team got a lot out of it, um, but the biggest thing that we got out of it was just the leadership that Pastor Nate brings to this church. So while so many of the leaders there were talking about, you know, how they're just maintaining their church, you know, during COVID, I love that we've been making moves this whole time. We've been moving forward. We've been doing free deliveries. We've been building God's church, and it's so biblical, and it's so healthy, and that doesn't happen without leadership. I'm so very thankful for our lead pastor. Let's give it up for him one more time. Today's message is called, It's Time to Move. You know, yard sale season is upon us. Raise your hand if you are a yard sailor. Maybe you like to go to thrift shops. Okay. When I was a kid, my parents would take us to yard sales all the time. I'm talking like every weekend. And I was a really big germaphobe, so I kind of hated it. Like I didn't want to touch anything because you don't know where it's been before it got on that table. And so whenever I would look at something, I would make my little sister pick it up for me. I'd be like, that Care Bear is really cute. Can you pick it up? No, thank you. Just put it back. How about that Barbie? I'll take that Barbie. Go ahead and take it, and, and I'll pay for it. And then I would take it home and disinfect it because germaphobe, you know. But now I can appreciate that my parents were looking for treasures at their yard sales. I was reading an article the other day about a guy who went to a yard sale, and he bought something. It was like a rolled-up piece of parchment paper. He got it home. He unrolled it. He's like, wow, this is cool. It's the Declaration of Independence. You know, he's like, America, I love our country. I'm going to hang that up in my garage. And that's what he did. For the next 10 years, it hung in his garage. And then he got married. And then his new wife was like, that does not go with my decor. It's me or the Declaration of Independence, honey. So being the sweet and smart husband that he was, he took it down. But he did not want to throw it away, so he donated it to a thrift shop. A couple days later, another guy comes along. So many guys appreciating history. So he, he picked it up out of a poster bin. The price tag was $2.20. He's like, this is a bargain. I love it. So he bought it. 
he took it home. He was showing it to his buddies. And they're like, you know, this actually looks like it might be really old. Like, not just like somebody made it look old, but you might have something kind of authentic on your hands. You should get it appraised. So that's what he did. He took it to an appraiser, and he found out that it was one of 200 copies of the Declaration of Independence commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820 to share it with everybody around the world. The value was $400,000. <laughs> yeah. So the original owner heard about it, and needless to say, he was really upset, okay? He had a $400,000 piece of history on his garage for 10 years, and his wife made him take it down. And all the husbands are like, see, honey, this is why I don't clean out the garage. There's good stuff in there. You should clean out your garage. Take those good things to get appraised. But the thing is, the original owner had it in his possession, and he never realized its worth. When I stand before God one day, I don't want to find out I had more potential or missed out on any of the purpose or plans that he had for me. Every moment that he's given us matters, and now is the time to make a move with it. Are we maximizing our moments, or are we maxed out before the morning begins? Are we mission-minded, or are we missing out on what matters most? Are we making the day count, or are we counting down until the end of the day? In order to get the most out of our time, we're going to look at God's original plan for our lives from when he created the world. We're going to go all the way to the book of Genesis. In the first chapter, he says, on day one, God created light and darkness, and it was day and it was night, and he said it was good. On day two, God created the heavens, and it was good. On day three, God created the earth, and it was good. You guys are smart. On day four, God created the stars and planets, and he said it was good. Uh -huh. On day five, he created fish and birds. He blessed them and said it was good. And then on day six, he created reptiles, mammals, and people. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said it was? Good. He actually said it was very good. That one was a trick question. It was very good. Which brings us to day seven. We'll look at it in Genesis 2 too. And on the seventh day, God created. God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. So all God's work was finished on day seven. He created rest. Now, does God need rest? No. The Bible says he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He was establishing a rhythm for us. This was before the law was given. This was before the fall and Adam and Eve sinned. This was God's original plan to work six days and rest one. Tell the person next to you, work six, rest one. God explained it to Moses like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath isn't a word that we often use, but it simply means rest. Rest, not producing. The seventh day is a day of rest to honor God. It's a day that we can trust him in faith 
We can make a move that when we return our time to him, he'll multiply it to make us more effective in the six days we have left than we would have been with seven without his blessing. Like Pastor Nate talked about last week, anything that God blesses is multiplied. It's just like our tithe. We return the first 10% of our income to God. He blesses it, and he multiplies its impact. He multiplies what we have left. Same thing. When we trust him with our time, he blesses it, and he multiplies it. God's the only one who can redeem the time. If you're into fitness... Um, on the seventh day, experts say, should be a recovery day. You need a day for your muscles to regenerate and recover so that you don't have an injury and so that they can grow and be developed and bear more weight. Um, just like they require downtime, so do other body systems. Your brain, if it's overstimulated, it can't do the replenishing that it needs to create. Uh, studies show that your productivity caps at 50 hours a, work, a week of work. So if you work 80 hours you'll produce 50 hours worth of work. If you work 70 hours, you'll produce 50 hours worth of work. If you work 52 hours, it's equal to 50 hours worth of work. Forbes says that work is rest's partner, and they recommend to employers that employees have one day off every week. Yes. A rest day gives us space to be creative, and it allows our brain time to regenerate. There's a natural rhythm to work and rest. Now, for some of us, and especially in our culture, we take it as a badge of honor to say, I've been working a lot of overtime. You know, I got to take my kids to sports practice every night. I got to mow the lawn because it's starting to be a jungle out there. Also, I need to cook dinner and do all the things to keep everything spinning. But the thing is, we don't want to find our worth in what we do. We start to go around and we're like, I got to produce in order to feel good. That's why rest is so important. A rest day reminds you your identity is not in what you do. It's found in who you are because of Jesus. Otherwise, you'll be up, you'll be down, depending on what you do. Maybe work is a distraction for you so you don't have to face your life. Maybe it's a distraction so you don't have to face yourself. Maybe when you rest, you feel empty. Man, rest. Face that feeling and find freedom and wholeness in Jesus. You're probably thinking, but I have to get this project done. You don't know my schedule. I'll rest after this semester, after my kids graduate, after we build our house, when I retire. I don't have time to rest right now. We have time for exactly what we choose to have time for. You have time for exactly what you choose to have time for. I have time for exactly what I choose to have time for. If God rested, we can too. I know you're busy, but do you have more to do than God does? He's working even when you're sleeping, the Bible says. The Sabbath is a gift to us. In Mark 2.27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift. You know, Jesus was talking to religious people, and they were making it about weird rules and routines. But really, it's all about honoring God, whether it's on a Sunday or maybe your schedule is weird and it's on a different day for you. It's about getting to spend time with God, not having to. It's a gift that we enjoy. You don't have to wait for vacation to rest. You're given one vacation day out of every seven every week. I get 52 vacation days a year, and so do you. So what do we do on our day of rest? Relax. Refresh, 
recover from the last six days, get ready for the next six days, it's a rhythm. Rest is not Netflix. Rest is not Netflix. Last March, my husband and I binge-watched Tiger King. Anybody watch that? I had a lot of regrets after that. Okay, you guys, I can never get those hours of my life back. It left me feeling like a zombie, not filled up. It left me drained. TV is not bad, but it's a distraction. The best rest is active rest. It's doing things that fill you. It's delighting in God, and it's coming to church. Psalm 92 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Being planted refreshes you. It refills you. It gives you purpose, even in old age. It sets up your week. It gives you handles to thrive in your world. It propels you into your purpose. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and they had missed church for like a month. And, you know, just life things. And they're like, I feel like I haven't been here in years. I've been missing out. Yes. Get to the house of the Lord. You are flourished. You refresh when you come here. You get filled up. Don't miss out on it. Don't miss out on what God has for you. Coming to church is just the start to being planted. Then we take steps and we make moves. We trust in Jesus. Last experience, two people trusted in Jesus. So incredible. We go public with our faith through baptism. We check out Hope 101 and see what our next steps are. We serve out of rest on an impact team. Reached people, reached people, found people, find people, saved people, serve people. When you lose your life, you find it. When you seek him first, everything else is given to you. When you refresh others, you're refreshed. Throw yourself into the work of the master because nothing that you do for him is in vain. Nothing. It's time to move, people of hope. Now is the time to bring hope to our city. Now is the time to bring hope to our generation. Now is the time to rise. Jesus says the fields are ripe for the harvest. We're equipped. We're gifted. We're empowered. We're born for this. All we have to do is make a move. Come on. God is moving in this place. Every week we see people saved. We see people baptized. We see people set free. People are on the other side waiting for us to make moves. Don't be like the guy with the Declaration of Independence on his wall for 10 years, missing out on potential that was right in front of him. The best rest is active rest. We serve out of rest. That's one of our core values here at Hope. And it means we're productive on the outside because of the rest we have internally with Jesus. We serve out of rest. So besides church, besides coming here, getting filled up, getting refocused, serving Jesus, what do you do with the other 22 and a half hours of your rest day? Well, you could go for a hike, go to the lake, enjoy what God created. You could spend time with your kids, spend time with your parents, eat good food, enjoy everything that you've worked for. Now let's talk about what comes before we rest. This is the second part of this message, work. For some of us, work is a four-letter bad word, but work is a good thing. Genesis says that God worked six days, and then he rested. We work six, rest one. Rest comes after work. We work, 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 rest, 
repeat, work, 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 rest. It's a rhythm. It's like in music. You have music notes, and then you have a rest, a pause in the music. Without music notes, there's nothing to pause from. Maybe for us, maybe for you, that's five days you work at your job. One day you work at home on all your house stuff, and one day you rest. From the beginning, we were created to work. Genesis 2.15 says, God took the man and set him down in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. God's original plan from the beginning was for us to work. Adam was given an assignment. He was created in God's image to represent God on the earth. And like Adam, each of us has been given an assignment, and our work is good. It gives our life purpose. During the pandemic, anxiety and depression went from 11% nationally to 42% because people were out of work. Maybe they were working from home, but we started to lose our purpose. During the recession in 2007 and 2008, for every 1% employment, unemployment went up, Suicide went up 1.6%. Even in retirement, people who find purpose live longer than those who retire just to rest. We don't just work to make a living. Our work makes life worth living. We don't just work to make a living. Our work makes life worth living. That doesn't mean we find our identity in our work. We find our purpose in it. Pastor Dave says to our school, Hope Christian Academy, work is a way to glorify the Lord. If you work for him, you'll never get bored. King Solomon, this, the wisest man in the world, said this in Ecclesiastes. I've seen what's best for people here on earth. They should eat and drink and enjoy their work because the life God has given them on earth is short. God gives some people the ability to enjoy the wealth and property he gives them as well as the ability to accept their state in life and enjoy their work. He says it twice. They do not worry about how short life is because God keeps them busy with what they love to do. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy your property. Enjoy your life. Do what you love to do and do it with your whole heart. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That means everything for God. Everything in your career, everything at home, everything at school. Crush your career to the glory of God. Build your business. Multiply your money. You were created to be the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrower. Your father is glorified when you bear much fruit. You're representing him well. He wants you to prosper. Don't waste your time. Work it. With your kids, train them that work is an opportunity. It's not something that's taking from your family. It's what we were put on earth to do. It's a privilege. For my husband and I, whenever one of us works late, we are always so careful about how we explain it to our kids and framing it as an opportunity and something that we're excited about and something that they'll get to do when they grow up. They're excited to work one day. You know, for me, I work in ministry, but my husband's in manufacturing. You don't have to work at a church to love what you do. If you hate your job, Make a move. Apply for a different job. Train for something else. Do something that you haven't done before. Maybe your job's not the problem. Maybe you've hated every job you've ever had since high school. You hated working at McDonald's. You hated the place you worked in college. You hated your last three jobs. And you hate your current career. It's a mindset. 
Are you thinking your job is a blessing, or is it something that you wake up every day and dread? As a man thinks in his heart, so his life goes. If you believe it's a blessing, you will live according to that. Or maybe it's your attitude. Enjoy your job. Be wholehearted. Find purpose in it. Bring creative ideas that no one else is bringing. Invite people from work to join you at church. Plant seeds in your kids for their future. Fulfill your assignment and go and make disciples. Find purpose in your work. We produce six days, and then we rest one. That's what we do on the outside, and externally, that's the rhythm of our week. Internally, we have the opportunity to be at rest because of Jesus every day. And that's the third part of this message. Hebrews 3 talks about how God led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He freed them. He parted the Red Sea. He did all these miracles. And then he's leading them into the land of Canaan. He says, I'm going to lead you into a land of rest, of milk and honey, a place of abundance, a place of blessing. But when they saw the people in the land, they were afraid. God said the land was already theirs, but they weren't willing to make a move to take hold of it. Instead, they ended up circling a mountain for 40 years. Because they didn't believe God, they never received the promise. They didn't believe God, so they never received the promise. God said, go, and they said, no. Let's look at it in Hebrews 4. Now God has offered us the promise that we may receive the rest that he spoke about. This is talking to us. Let us take care then that none of you will be found to have failed to receive that promised rest. For we have heard the good news just as they did, just as the Israelites did. They heard the message, but it did them no good because when they heard it, they did not accept it with faith. We who believe then do receive that rest which God promised. The Israelites heard God's promise of rest, but they did not believe it. Continuing in verse 9. As it is, however, there still remains, there still remains today for God's people a rest like God's resting on the seventh day. For those who receive that rest, which God promised, will rest from their own work just as God rested from his. Let us then do our best to receive that rest. Other versions say, let us strive to receive that rest. Let us work to receive that rest so that no one of us will fail as they did because of their lack of faith. What Canaan was to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, God's peace and rest are to us today because of Jesus. And all we have to do is take hold of them by faith. When we trust in Jesus, we are saved for eternity. But there's so much more that he has for us in the here and now besides that. The Israelites were saved from slavery, and they were meant to rest in the land of Canaan, but they never took hold of that promise. Today, Jesus has things for us. He has promises for us, and they're ours for the taking. All we have to do is trust him and believe him by faith. Instead of anxiety, we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's ours for the taking. Instead of being overwhelmed, we're overcomers because of Jesus. Instead of being stuck in slavery to addiction, we can find freedom because of Jesus. We can break the cycle of lack that our parents lived in and take hold of the abundant life Jesus has for us by faith. We're not victims. We're more than conquerors. Fight for the state of rest that Jesus has for you before you see the fruit. Fight before you see the fruit. It's yours for the taking. All you have to do is believe in faith. 
That means when your emotions are telling you they're overwhelmed, speak to those things. Tell them, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Look to the rock that's higher than you. Look to Jesus, come on. When your body's like, I'm tired, speak to your body like Paul did. Say, I discipline my body and make it my slave. He's saying, I make it a tool to do my purpose, the purpose that God has for me. When your mind tells you things that aren't true, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to what Jesus says about you. We believe first in faith, and then we receive the promises that he has for us. The Israelites kept circling the same mountain of unbelief. What mountains are you circling today? It's time to move forward in faith.